You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For those of you listeners who know my background a bit, you might remember the stories of my first few jobs after college. From being a mall cop to selling makeup door to door, I realized that I had skills that were being underutilized and that these minimum wage jobs couldn't support me or last forever. I spent years going through YouTube, reading books, listening to podcasts, and taking enough online courses to reinvent myself as a professional copywriter and digital marketer. Years later, thanks to my side hustles and drive, I've worked with national news outlets, multi-million dollar tech startups, nonprofits, and celebrities to build their brands and drive sales. None of this could have happened if I didn't develop in-demand skills. I had to do this alone, but you don't have to. You have Hustlers University 2.0. Hustlers University 2.0 is a community where you can learn real skills to earn money online today, starting with side hustles you can use to elevate your game. I'm not just an advocate for Hustlers University. I'm also a student. Every professor is verified to be making 10K to 500K monthly in their selected field. You get full resources, lesson plans, and an active community of thousands of other Hustlers University students working on skills such as stock analysis, cryptocurrencies, e-commerce, copywriting, which was my favorite course, one I actually went ahead and took last month. And as a copywriter of seven years, I even took a ton out of that, including some of the resources I was able to take over to my day job. You also learn freelancing, financial planning, affiliate marketing, business management, and so much more. If you're tired of depending on a boss who hates you to deliver your paycheck or have learned since the lockdowns that controlling the source of your income is vital to your individual freedom, sign up for Hustlers University 2.0 today using the link in the show notes. I'll see you there. You see, they couldn't keep 
you locked in and afraid and compliant with all the new uh, jungle bird flu variants that happened last summer. Remember, remember when everyone was like, "Oh, Delta's gonna come, and Delta's gonna murder us all." Delta's the 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 resurgence of COVID, and then it was, "Well, what about the Omicron, Omnicron, the the Megatron variant, and, and all this other shit?" They realized that people saw past the fact that the vaccine passports were bullshit, the mask wearing mandates were bullshit, and um, people wanted to move on with their lives. Or as I put it here in Wisconsin, people wanted to go out in crowds and have a beer and enjoy a good festival. But uh, something else happened, which was the invasion of Ukraine by the Russian military. And uh, as soon as that happened, we switched from being a COVID-centric society to now everyone is an expert on, um, on geopolitics. We're, we're, we're done with that COVID thing now. Now we're all about the Ukraine. And, and don't get me wrong. It's, it's horrible to see what's happening to both the people of Ukraine who are being forced out of their homes. And it's also horrible to see what's happening to the people of Russia who are not their government, who are being impacted by everything that is going on as well. So this is a horrible time. But you could quickly see during the recent State of the Union that the whole narrative has just completely changed from how we're looking at inflation, which they're no longer calling transitory. They, they just threw that out the window. I, I feel bad for Jerome Powell. I've been saying I feel bad for Jerome Powell for the last year and a half because it was in early 2021, I think it was like around February, March, where Jerome Powell just basically said, I have no control over anything anymore. I have no clue what's going on. Some of you might remember my interview with uh, Craig Ironman from the Independent Institute talking about the Fed and transitory inflation and everything. And we, we saw this coming. To be quite frank, I didn't think it was going to be this bad, but I mean, let's let's really understand it because I think we're seeing a lot of people throwing around buzzwords to explain what's happening. But, you know, let, let's just really look at this. We have one of the hottest job markets ever. That's great if you're unemployed and you want to switch career fields or find extra work, but it's bad for employers and ultimately it's bad for consumers. Also take into the fact that you have rising inflation, rising costs, and then rising salaries. Because it seems that, at least for, for everyone around me, for example, in the Milwaukee area, $15 is essentially the, the minimum wage now that employers are setting. That's what you're getting, and you're getting so many other benefits. So, so rising inflation, rising costs, rising, r- rising costs of goods, and rising costs of labor. You also take into account that you know a lot of people did not save money over the past few years as much as they probably should have. Consumer spending stayed ultimately the same. In fact, at certain points, it spiked, especially when COVID seemed to start dying down. So what we have right now is an economy which has been artificially stimulated to stay alive, despite the fact that now what should have been a healing period is now causing prices for everything to just move all over the place. And I, I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. I had to, um, I, I had to renew my lease recently 
and the cost of water is going up at a rate that I, I, I was surprised, like, you know, a few bucks here and there, like I get it, but this was, this was pretty drastic. And, and then you take into account everything else. And for the first time in a while, I had to go ahead and raise my rates for some of my individual clients, not because I was like, okay, it's time for me to make more money. It was because I was like, hey, guys, uh, it's it's getting more expensive to live. And if I want to be able to, you know, work at the way I am, at the rate I am, I'm going to have to go ahead and raise costs to keep up with my cost of living. So you might think, oh, he's just trying to get more money out of us. But no, I'm just trying to maintain what I have. So when I was looking at my numbers and everything, I saw, yeah, like this year I will be making more. I also got a a raise at work, which I was not entirely happy with because it's not, I I won't say the number, but it's, it's under the current rate of annual inflation. So basically I took a pay cut. Everyone else did too. It, It was just, you know, either take it or leave it situation. But basically through my side hustles, I was actually able to not necessarily make more in terms of buying power uh, for the rest of 2022. But I'm at the point now where thanks to that small bump in my nine to five salary, but ultimately thanks to my side hustles, I'm able to essentially live the same lifestyle that I've been living the past year. I was really hoping that this year would be a giant breakout year. It still has the opportunity to be. I'm still working with new clients. I'm still developing new streams of active and passive income like you. Everything that's going on is affecting me as well. So we're we're all in this together. But I, I hope you've paid attention to what I've been saying so far and what I've been saying for so many episodes going back almost a year since we really had to assess what the Biden economy was going to look like and what the post-COVID economy was going to look like. We knew it was going to change. And and there are two types of people right now. Well, actually, there's three, but the third is a very small minority, which is where I think we sit. One, you have the people that think we're going to go back to like 2019, that we're just going to go back to this fantastic place where COVID didn't happen and where all these things weren't happening and that we could all just be mad at Orange Man together and that things haven't changed as drastically as, as as they did. So you've got the people that want to go back in time. And then what you have is you have your great reset crowd who think that we didn't do enough during the lockdowns, that didn't think we did enough during the pandemic. And what they want to do is they want to pull this great reset of society and change how everybody lives by force. You're all going to drive Teslas, as Pete Buttigieg said. Um, you know, if you're, if, you're, uh, if you're bleeding cash at the pump, now's your time to go ahead and buy that Tesla. Um, stay poor. Stay poor. That's that's essentially what we've been getting from the government. And, uh, you know, you will own nothing in the future. You will own nothing and you will love it. You will love it. The I, I think South Park said it best. It's the uh, worker consumer class, which will survive to serve itself and to serve the higher upper class elite. And uh, that's just how it is, because that's how it is. No one's going to own homes. It's okay. We're all going to be renters. We're all going to be pod people like in Los Angeles, living in little caged pods. Everything's going to be communal and you're not going to own anything and you're going to love it. And, and then you've got um, the what, what I call the people that saw past the matrix to, to be a little bit dramatic 
it's the people that realize that there are going to be incredible challenges that no other generation in human history, no, no other generation of Americans have ever encountered that uh, we're, we're going to have to pave the path on because we can either be victims to the changes or we can survive and thrive in those changes. They will be difficult, but there will also be incredible opportunities. Through the, through the lockdowns, this show, this community, what we've been able to do is we've been able to try and make something of ourselves because we didn't just want to exist. We wanted to live. There are things we want to do. We all have individual passions and things that we want to accomplish and see and have the freedom to choose to do. And despite all the challenges, hopefully we, we've made that a bit better. I know I'm incredibly blessed that I saw this coming a little bit and that I was able to make the changes. But like a lot of you, I struggled. You know that story. Go back and listen to the last 10 episodes of any given episode that you're hearing this message. You're, you're going to hear me explain that we live in a different world. But with that said, it's, it's an opportunity. And they're always going to be what people describe as winners and losers. But I, I mean, I break it down to this. You're either accepting that you can't control your own life and you're going to be a constant victim and pawn to other people with more wealth, power, and influence, as Jason Stapleton would say, or you're going to do something about it. I see all these people changing their profile pictures and doing all this other stuff. I was on the Chris Spangle show last week and we were talking about like how to bring real change. You have this one guy who's talking about, you know, running as a libertarian candidate for some position somewhere in Indiana and how the whole party is talking non-interventionism. Listen, America, America does not give a shit about the Libertarian Party. The Libertarian Party doesn't do anything. It's a bunch of LARPers, a bunch of people pretending they they're inconsequential to your life and my life. That's just that's just how it is. And, um, you know, that, that's how politics is, regardless of party. It's, it's theater. The decision's already made. But I uh, went ahead and spoke to my friend Reinhold on, on the show as well. He mentioned that he had given money to a refugee fund that was going to go ahead and feed people who have been pushed out of their homes and are currently staying at camps in Poland. Him giving a few dollars to a charity feeding children does more than anyone going online and talking about foreign policy theory. You see, it's, it's good to be right, but it's better to do something that makes somebody's lives, life better. And that shouldn't be a controversial statement, but somehow that, that still is. And in the on-the-run community, we understand that Taking action is the only thing you can do when you come to the realization that the truth is the only person that can guarantee more freedom in your life is looking at you in the mirror. We're going to live, as the president from Independence Day would say, we're going to survive. (laughs) And um, as we look at what's happening right now with an economy that reminds me far too much of 2008, if anything, I would say this is worse now because we have people trying to drag us into World War III. It seems that we've replaced Fauci with Zelensky, COVID with Russia, and that people are now starting to really push for, you know, maybe maybe we need to have gas, gas rations despite the fact that there's not a shortage of gas. The, 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 the energy crisis we're in right now is entirely self-inflicted. Entirely self-inflicted. The fact that people are saying, oh, you know, maybe you, know, maybe you should just stop driving to work and all this other stuff. It's like, are, are, who, what? 
You see, it's the people that were not impacted by COVID that think that nothing really changed. It's the people that moved into Northern Virginia when Amazon started moving HQ2 out to Crystal City or SFDC. It was the people that already were making six figures. And now because they left California and Silicon Valley and moved to the East Coast, their buying power was tripled. They could already work from home for the most part. And they already you know, were, were part of this progressive class of people who, you know, they, they were already having everything delivered to their homes. You know, they, their idea of uh, struggling during COVID was not getting to go wine bars often. I mean, it, it, didn't, it didn't impact them. It didn't. It wasn't the same. I've seen that in a lot of places, people who were just not really impacted. And, and they wonder what all the ruckus was about from the poor right-wing people, from, from the workers who, you know, they were, they were forcing to get vaccines and forcing to wear masks, but they were still asking them to go out and pick up their groceries and drive and drop off their food and everything and deliver, deliver their meals and stuff because they could go out and they could be in contact with all these people and, you know, all that stuff. But, you know, anyone else does that and we're killing grandma. How quickly people forget. But we're going to go ahead and cover this article from Bloomberg Opinion that really is probably one of the most, like, offensive pieces I've read in a while outside of, like, you know, explicit culture war pieces that I typically ignore. This one actually has me fearing that something akin to the lockdowns and the COVID procedures and everything else might come back, but under the guise of national and international security. The article, which I'll go ahead and uh, post a link to in the show notes today, is from Bloomberg Opinion. The title is Inflation Stings Most If You Learn Less Than 300K. Here's how to deal. That's, that's how we're writing articles now. Here's how to deal. Subhead, more Americans than ever expect their finances to worsen as inflation hits a 40-year high. Do you really need that extra car? It's the condescending nature of it. Less than 300K. I think, I think most people in, in the state of Wisconsin, for one, where I currently live, make around 40 to 50K a year. And when you look at millennials especially, you know, e- even if you're a millennial who graduated in the last five, six years, and you made a job at a relatively high salary, your typical net worth was in the negative numbers for your first three to five years of employment. I know somebody who graduated around the same time I did from college in 2017, immediately walked into a job within a year he was making six figures, and he still has today student loan payments. He has a negative net worth. And the time that he could have been building wealth, generating cash flow, setting himself up, he he fell to consumer debt and student loans. And sadly, that's how it is for a lot of people. So, you know, at the face of it, this idea that your salary is going to be be able to save you, that, that might be true to an extent. But let's just understand that your average American consumer, one in three Americans, does not have $500 in savings to cover an emergency bill. 
Dave Ramsey in in 2020 went ahead and did a study. Well, he went ahead and quoted a study where it basically showed that more Americans then were actually starting savings accounts and actually trying to save at least $1,000 in cash savings for a rainy day. And what he brought up was that, listen, it's great that people are starting to do this now, but guess what? This is the rainy day. And now look, now we're getting to the point where $1,000 now doesn't even guarantee you the same buying power than it did two years ago. And it's not even, it's not even a little bit. It's a lot. It's a lot that you don't get now. We're not in a great situation. And, and, and this article headline goes ahead and points that out. But it does so in the most condescending way, almost like you deserve this to happen. Almost like it's your fault. I'll go ahead and read through this, and I'll go ahead and throw my comments throughout. This is by Teresa Gillarducci, published on March 13th, 2022. If your income is more than 289000 a year, the run-up in gas prices may seem alarming, but it's unlikely to hammer you overall fi- your overall finances. After all, Americans at, the, at that level spend no more than 1% of their take-home pay on gas and oil, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. For those earning much less, it's a different story. Those at the median with income of with with an ink with income with yeah, I can't read. That was a product of the public education system. Please, I'm trying. And, and for the record, uh, Teresa Gillarducci is a Swartz Professor of Economics at the New School for Social Research. She's a co-author of Rescuing Retirement and a member of the board of directors on economic policy uh, of the Economic Policy Institute. So just remember. She's not one of those people that had to struggle. She's an academic. She was doing fine. She was probably working remote before all this shit happened. Um, For those earning much less, it's a different story. Those at the median with an income of 50 grand spend more than 3% of it on gas and motor oil. Why? Because those people making that money usually have to drive to work. Low-income households making between... 7,000 to 19,000 spend about 9%. The latest inflation numbers show gas prices jumped 6.6% in February from a month earlier, even before President Joe Biden banned U.S. imports of Russian oil. And that's one thing I'm glad she brings up. Gas prices, while everyone is saying that's Russia's fault, if you like Joe Biden, and while the right is saying, oh, it's all Biden's fault, understand that this had actually been happening over the past year and it's for a lot of reasons but gas prices are are going up because of central planners trying to go after the the gas and energy sector this was this was all this was already cooked into it and now they're just trying to find ways to get you to yell at somebody else on their behalf Economists say the overall share of income spent on gas is lower than it used to be, and despite the increases, prices are still relatively low by historical standards. That's true, but it offers little consolation these days for someone on the lower end of the income distribution who drives to work. Food prices are also up, posting their biggest monthly increases since April 2020. There, too, those making less than 19000 spend much of their income, almost 15%, compared to higher earners whose total food spending is just 4% of their income. Households with an income of 50 k spend 8.5% of it on food. 
The most recent barometer of consumer sentiment showed the highest ever share of Americans expecting their finances to worsen in the coming year. About 54% think their incomes will lag behind inflation in the year ahead. A pretty high percentage historically. I expect, her, the author of course, I expect that most affected will adjust to inflation in the classic way by shifting away from relatively expensive items toward close substitutes. Here are some ideas on how to reconfigure consumption and lessen the blow. But again, adjustment is hard for people without savings or choices. Everything up until this point is right. I actually agree with her 100% on everything up to this point. Now, it's the solutions that she's going to go ahead and share that I have issues with. First, you have to know your budget to control your budget. Budgeting takes effort, but it gives you more power. And that power is even more important in inflationary times. To deal with gas prices, it's worth reconsidering public transportation if it's an option where you live. Fares are up 8% compared with 38% for gasoline. Now may even be a time to sell your car. It certainly isn't the time to buy a new or used one. Prices have stabilized a bit, but used car prices are still up more than 40% from a year ago. And new ones are up 12%. Why would you sell your car when we're in an artificially inflated energy crisis? This, is, th- 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 this has nothing to do. This is not a lack of gas. It's not a lack of oil. This is entirely because governments are getting involved. Why should somebody have to sell their car for something that could easily end tomorrow? Assume this ends a month from now. God willing. Hope that all this ends a month from now. Now you're left without a car. And then you have to go buy another car, used or new, and they're they're incredibly high. Progressives have this loving, like, like fixation with public transportation. You, you ever talk about infrastructure, and they will start like frothing at the mouth for high speed rail. It, it's because the the car represents the modern middle class consumer in a capitalist society, which is what they hate. And they also blame that for like destroying the world. So this idea that we're all going to go ahead and jump into sardines and public transportation, it's somehow better. But what I can't say is that the people always proposing these solutions to go ahead and ban cars or ban individual ownership of vehicles or usage of them, they're always the people that have their own stuff. It's like Leonardo DiCaprio yelling about climate change. The guy still flies around in a private jet. So does John Kerry and others. They're not getting rid of their car collections. They don't take public transportation. Now, yes, of course, they're making more than 300K, like, this, like what this lady mentioned. But it's, it's, always, it's always you need to sacrifice. You need to tighten up. It's your fault. It's your problem that you're the victim of government and central planner policies. When it comes to food, don't be afraid to explore. And for the record, I am for budgeting. And even for here, you all know how much I love Costco. But she's going to take it a bit too far. When it comes to food, don't be afraid to explore. Prices for animal-based food products will certainly increase. Why? How much food do we actually get from Russia or Ukraine? How much? How much of the food that goes to, that, that goes to the animals to eat the food comes from there? She'll go ahead and explain that in a minute, but it's... You look at what we could do if we just allowed businesses in the United States to actually freely respond to these changing market factors, and we could very quickly change that. 
very quickly changed that. And inflation was already making the cost of beef incredibly high before all this. Prices for animal-based food products will certainly increase. Ukraine and Russia supply a significant amount of corn and barley to the world market. I, I want to see a breakdown of how much of that comes to the United States. I, I think I saw a number recently that showed a very low percentage. We're fine. This, is not, this part's not going to impact us. Mainly feed livestock for human food. Meat prices have increased about 14% from February 2021 and will go up even more. She, she recognizes that. Though your palate might not be used to it, tasty meat substitutes, including vegetables, where prices are up a little over 4%, or lentils and beans, which are up 9%. You see, I, I'm just happy that she wasn't pulling, like, you know, the, the great reset argument of, e- of eating soy substitutes for everything and learning to eat bugs because it's better for the environment. Eat bugs. Eat bugs for the environment. Plan to cut out the middle creature and consume plants directly. It's more efficient, healthier, and cheaper way to get calories. R- ridiculous. Absolutely fucking ridiculous. And stay away from buying in bulk. This is where... This is where she, she's really triggering me. As a Costco acolyte, this is where she's really pissing me off. And stay away from buying in bulk. You usually don't save any money by buying more. It, it depends. That, that's such a generic statement. But what I'm telling you is if you go and buy anything from freaking Costco, you're saving money. Especially if you use the saving tools that we've discussed here in the past. Which, by the way, I'm publishing a new article on remso.substack.com. That's my regular newsletter. Um, I'm no longer using Cash App because Cash App customer service allowed somebody to steal from me. And that's a a whole story that you probably saw on Twitter and Instagram. But uh, I'll be going ahead and putting out um, a a new article for good apps I've discovered over the past year that will go ahead and help you save and make money. So if you want to make sure that you receive that directly to your inbox, go to remso.substack.com and sign up for that. If you use stuff like Dosh, if you use you know cat, uh, cash back cards and stuff like that, you're not only taking advantage of existing savings, but you're getting additional savings on top of that, depending on how you pay. We've talked about that on this show for almost a year. Uh, you know, even though Cash App is dead now, we will call it Trash App from now on. There are many other options out there. Um, sure, there may be great deals, but most consumers wind up falling for the tricks that entice them to spend more. Things like offering free samples, which, oh, bitch, you're going after Costco free samples. We have a problem, which often leads to impulse buying. I don't think the, the free samples of Mahi Mahi Tuna have ever made me want to go buy that in bulk. I think, I think, she, I think she hates America. You attack Costco, which is what she's doing in her, in her veiled, veiled criticisms. That's a, that, that's a, that's a problem, lady. Uh, or placing discounted big-ticket items near the entrance. If you absolutely must buy in bulk, try to do it with a friend so you can split some of the costs and ensure everything gets eaten or used. What is? What, what if your friends are also shitty with their money? What if your friends are the people still double-masking? to drive to work. I think a lot of people's friends are not the ones that should be giving them advice on how to, how to get through this. Um, and I, I like the idea that it's going to be a communal thing. We'll buy this together. It's the village that will save the people. 
so you can split some of the costs and ensure everything gets eaten or used. Please. Aside from being more thoughtful about purchases, it's also prudent to think about unnecessary charges. So review your credit card to make sure there aren't any unwanted reoccurring ones. We might as well talk about what happened with Cash App. Okay, because this is actually, this is actually a good moment. As many of you know, for, since this show started, I was constantly pushing Cash App on people because for the longest time, Cash App was a great, great tool. You had all the basic essential banking services outside of credit and loan. You got boost opportunities. You got exposure to buy stocks. You could go ahead and get into Bitcoin. You, you, you could get a lot with the Cash App debit card, and it was fantastic. And then over the past year, what I noticed was that a lot of the good boosts, like uh, 5% off a single purchase at a grocery store, you know, 10% back at a restaurant, you could get Bitcoin boosts, which is awesome, which got me back into buying Bitcoin again. A lot of the really, really good boosts started disappearing. And then it got to the point where you you couldn't really get anything except for, you know, only online purchases at like Burger King, which who's going to order food from Burger King online? I've never met anyone that's thought of doing that. I mean, I'm not saying ordering food online is is rare. I do that all the time. But order online at Burger King? Who the hell does that? If you exist, let me know because I've never met a person who did that. So it was it was that. It was like these stores where you had to buy products that were incredibly expensive. Long story short, the stuff that actually benefited everyday regular people like us, all those boosts disappeared. But here's what's here's what ultimately bothered me. Now, many of you know that I've stayed away from credit cards for the longest time. I do own credit cards, but I usually do not make many purchases of them. That changed recently. But uh, for the most part, I would make a lot of, you know, purchases with my Cash App debit card. Very much a fan of, you know, buying with cash and I could get boosts and I could get Bitcoin out of it. So I was like, this was the best debit card on the market. And it also prevented me from having to use my regular debit card in case something happened. Well, something happened to my Cash App card. Somebody the other day started making charges to Target in Virginia, I haven't been to Virginia in months. I haven't been to Virginia since December. So somebody started taking my card, which I use for basically all my generic purchases, especially all my purchases online. And I was just like, oh, somebody got my card and they're making charges. Now, as a debit card, you know, it's harder to dispute um, it's harder to dispute charges and stuff like that. But usually your bank will work with you to get your money back. So I went ahead and uh, disabled the card and canceled the card. And I was waiting to dispute the changes. Well, one thing about Cash App is they have almost no real human customer service. And their hours are almost non-existent. And for a situation like this, where you're dealing with fraud charges and theft, they're not going to have you do more than follow this extremely arcane um, process for filing an investigation, which will take weeks to months to get your money back. And um, it, it was just it, it was just a bad experience. So I disabled the card, canceled it, tried to dispute the charges, but I had to wait for the charges to go through because it was a debit card. And um, you know, I was just like, you know what, like whatever. It was like forty bucks. But here's the problem: as soon as I went ahead and ordered my new card, and I thought the whole thing was over, I started getting new charges on the new card, which indicated to me that somebody had compromised my account. 
what other information do they have access to? Luckily, they weren't loading my Cash App with money directly from my checking account. But what if they had done that? What if they had bought a bunch of stocks and a bunch of Bitcoin and sent it elsewhere? What if they continued to make charges? What if they had my personal information? So I immediately saw this and began freaking out because like I haven't even received the physical card and I haven't even bought anything online with the new card number I had. So they were in my account. I went through the process. I tried calling. I tried doing everything. And they were, there was nothing to indicate that they were going to take this seriously or escalate it. So what I ended up doing was I was just like, screw it. I need to take care of myself. I did two things. One, I went ahead and cleared the negative balance because apparently, unlike a regular debit card where they will not let you over overdraft, somehow fucking Cash App overdrafts you. So they overdrafted me like 50 bucks. I ended up having to cover that because you cannot close the account unless you clear that. So I quickly cleared that negative balance and I I disabled the card and I closed my Cash App account permanently. And immediately I went on and start paying for LifeLock, which is identity theft insurance, where they monitor your name and your uh, credit and your social security number across the dark web. And uh, they alert you to that in case there's like, you know, data exposures on apps or on businesses or something. And in case you get um, your identity stolen, they will provide up to a million dollars in services based off your plan. Now, there's not an ad for LifeLock. This is just telling you that I took it seriously. And I've been thinking of LifeLock for a while and other identity theft protection services since, you know, that's the world we're living in. But this prompted me to go ahead and get LifeLock. So I know that regardless of what happens, now I've got identity theft insurance and I'm good. And luckily, they did a quick scan of everything. And uh, I haven't noticed anything the last couple of days since then. Let's knock on wood. But uh, everything seems to be fine, and it seems like only my Cash App was compromised. So I went ahead and started tweeting, hey, Cash App, your your customer service is trash. Somebody compromised my account. This could happen to other customers. What's going on? They sent me a long apology, and they're like, can we talk about this privacy, pri- privately? And I'm like, no. And you know, they DM me, and I explained everything again. And it's like, you know, it doesn't matter, because even if, let's say, they could fix this, what are they going to do for me, even if I hadn't disabled my account? The trust is broken, and I already had to take care of this myself. And no bank, no, no anybody is going to do this to their customers as badly as Cash App has. I've dealt with you know, stuff like this happening before on different things, and at least I was able to get help. I got nothing out of Cash App. So Cash App is trash. Cash App is dead to us. Knock on wood, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, that, not, that, that, was, that was the end of that. And with LifeLock, I just overprepared because I was freaking out, but like that is, you know, that, that is what happens and that's the risk. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there, there are other things out there. I hope you save money, folks, help you save money. And no, I'm not Dave Ramsey guy where I'm like, you know, as much as I, as much as I love Papa Dave, I, I'm not against credit card usage as long as you own your credit cards and you don't let your credit cards own you. But anyway, um, where were we in this article? Yeah. LifeLock is, seems to be good. <laughs> if you're one of the many Americans who became a new pet owner during the pandemic, you might this, this part will cause some of you to flip your shit. And as many of you know, I, I've had pets my entire life. My pets are everything to me. I would do anything for them. So I'm going to restart this. 
If you're one of the many Americans who became a new pet owner during the pandemic, you might want to rethink those costly pet medical needs. It may sound harsh, but researchers actually don't recommend pet chemotherapy, which can cost up to $10,000 for ethical reasons. I will go to the ends of the earth to keep my animals alive. In fact, my, my cat Rem, my, my first cat, my black Siamese mix Rem, who I loved, uh, he lived for 16 years, and at the age of nine, he went through chemo. And they gave him a, f- a couple of years, and he lived for another another six, seven years. Yeah, worth it. And he was fine until he died. Um, yeah, so, no. I will, I will do anything to keep my animals happy. Coping with inflation could mean drastic actions or small ones. There are lots of ways people can duck and dance around relative price changes. The Bureau of Labor Statistics found people in the recession hold off on buying cars, furniture, and appliances. Though many don't come back on travel, they do cut back on restaurants. Try and be as flexible and creative as possible. Scientists tell us our, bl- our brain plasticity will improve by trying novel things. There's an advantage to mixing up what you consume to cope with unusual price spikes. You become more resilient as you create a locus of control and interrogate your habits. So I'll go ahead and include this in the show notes so you can go back and read it yourself. But, you know, all, all this all this basically implies that, you know, this is this is the new forever. This is the new normal. And. It, it, it doesn't it, it comes very much from the view of an academic, especially a progressive academic, that where you're at in life is because of outside circumstances you absolutely have no control over, even if you could control things. The only things you can control involve cutting back and living a diminished lifestyle and that this is permanent and that you should accept it as that because the academics have said so. The academics that never follow their own advice. Not once did she mention maybe seeing this as an opportunity to look for a remote opportunity or to take a new you know, part-time job. As I mentioned, this is one of the hottest job markets I've ever seen. Not once did she mention all the interesting ways people are generating money online. That even through the pandemic, new millionaires were minted every month. She had mentioned how many people are saying this is one of the best times to start a small business. The Great Resignation has been showing that as people are questioning why they're working for places they don't like, for people who don't like them, and why they can't go into business for themselves, have more freedom, and make more money. Everything I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the show about how I was able to go ahead and adjust the things around me, adjust my rate so that way I could just just keep up with the rate of inflation. I'm happy with that. I thought this would be a year where I could, you know, make more money in terms of my buying power and my wealth, but I'm happy just to maintain the wealth that I have, the modest amount I do. Yeah, I, I keep a nine to five, but when my nine to five couldn't protect my money, my side hustles did. I can go sleep at night not having to worry about that. Every week I get to talk to new people who are trying to find new and creative ways to generate money for reasons that were different than before the lockdowns and everything, especially looking at the world we're at now. 
people look at money differently. They don't just see it as something that can help them buy something big and flashy. They see it as something that can help them actually build back parts of their life. Things that they didn't prioritize before all this, but they prioritize now. A father that wants to spend more time with his daughter. A young millennial that wants to go ahead and live the American dream of being a homeowner. Somebody who him and his wife are already financially secure, but they're afraid if one or both of them loses their job for some reason outside of their control, they don't know what they could do to go ahead and make sure that there's enough money to stop them from having to deplete their emergency fund. A young teenage mother that wants to be able to live the life of a traditional housewife but wants to generate a side income to support her family while her husband's at work and she's at home with the kids. People don't want to be billion-dollar CEOs, so though some might. People just want to live more of their life on their terms. Money is how you do that. Controlling the source of your wealth and the ability to make the choices that matter to you, to the best of your ability, are the only things that matter. Many of you have heard me talk about it for weeks. You're now hearing it run at the beginning of the show. I'm not just an advocate or a shiller for Hustlers University 2.0, but I'm a student. I've been doing side hustles since college. And the amount of knowledge and motivation and encouragement I've been able to gather from the Hustlers University community of professors and students has helped bring me new streams of income, new knowledge, new resources I need and that we all need to get through the challenging days ahead of us. If you want to learn a skill that is in high demand, that requires a little bit of dedicated time to learn and take seriously and actual effort and action on your part to start doing it, I I can't think of a better place than Hustlers University. It's not an MLM. They're they're not going to try and throw other, you know, products at you to go ahead and just take more of your money while you're not earning anything. I've seen many courses and programs that do that where it's like, okay, when do I start making money now? No, this is one of the best investments you can make in yourself. I've been in it since November. I'm going to be in it for the foreseeable future because of all the stuff that's coming in as, uh, as you know, frequently as possible. There are great opportunities, giveaways for people who achieve certain things. Like it's, it's fun. Like I can genuinely say, like, I didn't think it'd be as fun as it's been, but, um, you know, on some of the days where I'm not reviewing some materials or looking at new resources, I just joined some of the chats of people where people are talking about where they're succeeding and where they're failing and where they're challenging each other. I'm seeing lives change daily on there. And if it's been able to help me a seasoned, you know, side hustle guy, like, Imagine my surprise when I see people who were just getting into this, who are now making more money than me, just from their side hustles, people leaving their jobs. Even I haven't achieved that yet. If you're interested in actually making that change in your life, please use the link for Hustlers University 2.0 in the show notes today. You're not going to regret it. I guarantee it. 
Well, that's all she wrote. And that's all I got for you today. As always, I'll be back later in the week. If you enjoyed this, please share this episode with a friend. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Audible, wherever you're listening to us across Al Gore's amazing internet. And I'll talk to you later. Good night.